Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thank you for listening to us today. Ben, it's the first episode in October 2021. That's true. Yes, it's it's come again. The spooky time of year. Yes. The witching month. Y- yes. 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 I love fall so much, uh, as I'm sure many people listening to this episode do. I just love the changing colors, the crisper air, the fashion, uh, just everything. Everything about fall. The eighth ober of the year. Caesar wrecked that for us. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, How are you? I'm doing pretty well today. It's a beautiful fall day. So I'm I'm doing well. Yeah. I'm excited as we head into October for all of the bonus content that's going to be coming to our patrons, mm-hmm. um, including cut content from our horror adjacent episodes. Yes, that would have gone out just a few days before this episode. The first of them anyway. Yes. And then we've also got, um, of course, October's horror-adjacent episode, which is being decided via poll on our Patreon. So if you want to be part of that democratic decision... It's currently very contentious. It is. We've got a close race right now. Uh, Last I checked in the lead, we had a three-way tie between It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, Mad Monster Party, and The Addams Family. Yeah, and then a two-vote tie each to Hocus Pocus and Halloween Town, which I am very surprised. Uh, I mean, I guess it's it's a very close race. Yes. It's I'm, anyone's episode. At this point, yes. I'm surprised Hocus Pocus isn't doing better, but I am pleasantly surprised by that. So, um, And anyone who has voted for Halloween Town, thank you. <laughs> I had to fight Ben to get it on the poll and then uh we've got your short story audiobook adaptation coming down the pipe as well yes so that will be coming out uh later in the month and yeah just a whole lot of halloween goodies mm-hmm. for folks at patreon.com slash scream scene podcast we grew our own pumpkins this year Yes, that has nothing to do with Patreon, but we did grow our own pumpkins. We have three and one tiny one that I will need to bring in before it snows later this week. Yes. But I love them all equally. (laughs) So I'm excited to see how they turn into jack-o'-lanterns. Yeah. So what are we watching today? Today, Sarah, we are watching La Momia Azteca, or The Aztec Mummy, from 1957, directed by Rafael Portillo cool um we haven't really talked about aztec mummies we've we've spent a lot of time talking about egyptian mummies yes there were aztec mummies used in el fantasma del convento as props basically um and you can hear more about that when you check out that episode uh that's episode 46b but yeah i to be honest probably wouldn't know that the Aztecs did mummies 
uh, if it wasn't for like these Mexican horror movies. That's because they didn't do mummies. Then what's an Aztec mummy, Sarah? So, okay, let me let me break this down. For um, sure. We go into a lot of detail about Egyptian mummies and like the religious meanings behind it, like why they did it and everything in episode 35 when we covered the 1932 The Mummy. And kind of the key takeaway there is that it's like a ceremonial funerary process to prepare the body for the afterlife mm-hmm. and a very specific embalming process. The Aztecs didn't do that. There are cases of like, I'll say intentionally made mummies from the Aztecs, but they didn't have the whole process that Egypt had where, you know, you stick the hot poker up the brain, removing the organs. They just kind of like buried them in a, with a ceremonial mask covered in cloth and rope um, and in a seated position. And through desiccation, these bodies turned into mummies. Got it. Okay. Sort of like bog mummies where it's like this thing's a mummy because of like the result of a natural process rather than on purpose. Yeah. Um, so most of the Aztec mummies that are even on display in museums are what I'll call natural mummies. Now, that's not to say that they weren't buried with possessions. Um, I'll be getting into why they did that, but it wasn't like they were like, okay, now wrap this person up with this linen or mm. anything like that. They, they were just buried or cremated, depending on what happens. Sure. I mean, I, I don't think you get to be a mummy if you were cremated, but no, no, maybe in spirit. <laughs> uh, so just to clarify who the Aztecs are, they are the indigenous population in Mexico in terms of when we're talking about the Aztec religion and their mythology, we're talking about the Aztecs in Mesoamerica between the 14th and 16th centuries. Their civilization ranged from the southern United States all the way south to even Guatemala, but pretty centralized in, uh, I guess, modern day Mexico. Yeah. The cultural touchstone for most people in regards to the Aztecs is human sacrifice. Sure. That is because for their belief system, humans have to sacrifice themselves in order to keep like the sun coming up, uh, the crops growing, the wind blowing, the rain coming. Um, basically, sacrifice greases the wheels of the world. Sure. I mean, human beings are a slightly more renewable resource than like coal or oil. So, you know, it's a it's a more um, sustainable system. That That's one way to look at it. Um, so the Aztecs have a creation story of lesser gods sacrificing themselves to give strength to a single god who then sacrifices themselves for the creation of the sun. And that kind of just is a great example of like we're in like this larger system and not any single one of us is better than the other except perhaps the person who rules the Aztecs their king but like we all serve a purpose and sacrifice is an honorable thing to do right blood makes the world go round exactly uh there are different levels of the afterlife in different places you can go, but it's all dependent on how you died. Okay. 
Uh, it doesn't matter if you were a good person, a bad person, if you were higher class, lower class, it depends on how you died. Uh, now, people who were sacrificed or people who were warriors, when they died, their souls would go to the east and be part of the rising of the sun. Okay. For female warriors, and specifically women who died in childbirth, they would go to the west and be with the sun as it set. Okay. And these are like really good places to be. Um, but if you died from illness, old age, accident, you know, you stubbed your toe and then fell off the temple um, to your death, uh, you get to go to Miklon, just the afterlife in general, uh, the underworld specifically, which has nine levels, and you have to travel through to prove yourself to get to paradise. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, depending on who you were, uh, whether you were a merchant, um, a royal, a noble, um, or a slave, or lower class, um, you would be better prepared for that journey than others. Okay. So, for example, um, a higher class individual, um, like a king, uh, they would sacrifice a dog. Um, so the dog would guide you in the afterlife. Um, in some cases, your wife and some servants might be sacrificed to join you in that journey. You could be buried with goods that would aid you in the journey. So for a merchant, for example, they may be cremated and then buried with goods like, I don't know, furs, cocoa, whatever. Um, so you could, you know, buy your way through and be a merchant through your journey. Sure, sure. Like you have to like travel through the nine levels of the underworld and kind of like level up as you go to get to paradise. And like, depending on who you are at the start, you get better starting equipment. This makes complete sense to me. <laughs> from your experience as a dungeon master, you understand where the Aztecs are coming from. Yeah, yeah. This all tracks. <laughs> For lower classes, they could be buried underneath the floorboards of your house so that you could kind of maintain that connection to them. Oh, sorry. Uh, these people would be cremated then buried. Okay. Yeah. So you don't just, you know, it's, it's not like, um, telltale heart situation. Right, okay. Sure. But yeah, so that's kind of the burial customs of the Aztecs. Like I said about Aztec mummies, they tend to be natural, uh, not intentional, I feel weird calling them man-made because, like, aren't we all man-made, <laughs> you know? Um, but the most famous Aztec mummies are in Guanajuato, which is an area in, like, central to south of central Mexico. And that is because they have mummies from the late 19th century on display in uh, the El Museo de las Momias. Um, the mummy museum. Wait, like from the late 19th century as then they were discovered in the late 19th century or they died in the late 19th century? They died in the late 19th century. Okay. So most of these people died from the 1833 cholera outbreak. In the graveyards in this area, uh, there was a local tax to keep your family members interred. Ah. And if you couldn't pay the family members who would be disinterred, about 2% of the people who would be taken out happened to be mummified. So this graveyard would store them 
And then they became an attraction. <laughs> and then they became El Museo de las Momias. That's morbid. Yeah. So the origin story of that museum in particular is as this graveyard. And that kind of gives you an idea of like how fast and easy it is for these mummies to be created sure. in Mexico. Most of the mummies that are on display around the world are these natural mummies. And in fact, the mummy that is in El Fantasma del Convento is mo more than likely from this particular mummy collection uh, from Guanajuato. Okay. So you did say that like Aztec bodies that would become mummies would have been bodies that would have been like buried wrapped in linen with like a mask in like a sitting position. So not in linen, just cloth. Oh. Um, it could be uh, furs. They'd be in a seated position. They might have a ceremonial mask depending on how they died. And then they would just be like buried or stored somewhere for lack of a better word. Right. So who, who got the ceremonial mask treatment and who got like cremated like what decided who got what um it would depend on uh your class as well as if you died via sacrifice got it are we looking at like the people who got buried being higher class and the people who got cremated being lower class like what was more prestigious honestly everything with the aztecs is not who you are a lot as a living person but how did you die sure Okay. So it's more about were you a warrior and you died in battle? Were you a woman who died in childbirth? Were you like sacrificed via ritual? Mm. You would be getting these masks. You'd be getting that higher treatment. Got it. Got it. Okay. So the so the the mask thing, the the wrapped in cloth thing, that's that's higher status than cremation. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see what kind of mummy we get in this movie, because as we've seen from the past. Mexican horror movies, they are very inspired by Universal. Everything we've seen so far has been very focused on like mad scientist, Dracula, werewolf stuff, but nothing with the mummy and like Boris Karloff's mummy, anything like that. So I'm like, are they going to go with like what is uh, more well known in the cultural milieu of horror movies or will they go with what they as Mexicans understand as mummies in the Aztec tradition. Mm. Well, you've sort of hit the nail on the head um, because the idea for La Mamia Azteca was the popularity of these Mexican horror movies that were remixing ideas from old Universal films. Um, and as you say, we've seen versions of Dracula, Frankenstein, The Phantom of the Opera, whatever, but nothing from The Mummy. And that's that's what we're doing here. So I think we're probably going to see Aztec mummy reality sort of reconfigured into being more Egyptian mummy-esque, mm -hmm. but I don't know that for sure. The other thing that will be interesting is um, with Egyptian mummies, they tended to be buried and mummified for a purpose. Right. Right. And like, that's kind of what we've seen in these mummy movies, like Karis is buried to protect the cult of karnak or whatever the fuck right um aztec mummies are just like roll of the dice are you part of the two percent who happen to get mummified right yeah so we'll see what that's like but i know that as a film this is knocking off the universal mummy movies 
Um, producer Guillermo Caderon, who had been working in the industry as a producer since 1943, came up with the story idea for this film, which plays on the reincarnation themes common to Hollywood mummy movies, as well as the reincarnation trend that was going on with all the Bridie Murphy mm. stuff. So this is sort of a Imhotep meets Bridie Murphy kind of concept. <laughs> um, to co-write the screenplay, he enlisted the aid of Alfredo Salazar, who had co-written La Bruja, and is also the brother of Abel Salazar, who produced and starred in El Vampiro. Mm. The film's director is Rafael Portillo, who got his start as an editor in the 1940s, and for whom this was his fourth feature film. The film stars Ramon Gay, who appeared in La Bruja, uh, so we've seen him before. He was 39 years old when he appeared in this movie, and he would die three years later when he went to dinner with his co-star Evangelina Elizondo after a performance of a play they were both doing, and he was shot dead by her husband, Jose Panganoni. Oh, shit. Crox Alvarado, who appeared as Captain Robles in Ladrone de Cadaveras, also co-stars in this film. The producers of La Momia Azteca must have had great confidence in what they were doing, seeing the success of Ladron de Cadaveras and El Vampiro, um, because they shot this film back-to-back with its two sequels. Oh, wow. La Maldición de la Momia Azteca, the curse of the Aztec mummy. Okay. And La Momia Azteca contra el robot humano, the robot versus the Aztec mummy. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. The first film was released on November 13th, 1957, and it was commercially successful, but received mostly negative critical reviews. Okay. And how soon is that after El Vampiro? A little over a month. Okay, cool. Yeah. In 1963... The movie was brought to the U.S. by Z-grade movie producer Jerry Warren, who we talked about in our episode on Man Beast. Mm -hmm. Warren cut out most of the dialogue scenes and replaced them with new scenes featuring American actors commenting on the action so as to avoid having to dub the dialogue. He gave the story a new ending where the mummy is brought back to civilization, kidnaps the girl, and then... um, we see the mummy carry the girl off into the highway at night. And then a newspaper headline comes up saying that the mummy was run over by a car and killed. And that's the end. <laughs> Cars. Uh, this version of the film was called Attack of the Mayan Mummy. Okay. And it is notorious as sort of a trash film. Yeah. Uh, enjoyed by the fans of sort of bottom of the barrel cinema. Uh, so somewhat notorious in that way. All three Aztec mummy movies were released in 2006 on DVD in the Aztec mummy collection from BCI video. Well, folks, hopefully you can find a copy to watch along. Um, I'm sure it's been desiccated in some sort of way that you can dig up and discover and watch (laughs) you're going to hear a brief musical interlude and when we come back we will discuss la momia azteca from 1957 directed by rafael portillo see you on the other side everybody 
Welcome back, everyone, to Scream Scene. We just finished watching La Momia Azteca, or the Aztec Mummy, from 1957, directed by Rafael Portillo. Sarah, what did you think of this movie? Uh, I did not enjoy this as much as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. The mummy itself was great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, really well done makeup. The rest of the movie is a mishmash. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. It's got problems, um, and we can go into those problems later. I do think if I was like a kid in Mexico, this would be like a perfect like Saturday matinee kid kind of movie. I think this movie owes as much to like Saturday serials as it does to Universal's The Mummy. Um, although it does certainly owe a lot to Universal's The Mummy. And by Saturday serials, you mean serial movies. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Like like Flash Gordon and like Dick Tracy and yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Just confirming because my mind is on serials like the food. Mm. So, and Saturday morning is when you have your cereal. Like, yeah. So I just needed to clarify. For sure. Uh, speaking of clarifying, let me dive into the synopsis. Yeah. Okay, so the movie opens with a shootout between a gang. The movie opens. Yeah, fair. With a voiceover over like shots of Aztec ruins telling us that everything we are about to see is like definitely for sure true. And based on like the definite true for sure testimony of the actual definite scientists who went on a real expedition to discover these things although some names may have been changed and fictionalized in parts to you know protect the innocent or whatever cut to a shootout between a gang and the police we learn through news broadcasts that uh the head of this gang is named the bat and he is a criminal and mad scientist in the vein of Dr. Moreau, who grafts animal parts onto other animals. It, it was so weird when this movie started and it was the police following a bunch of crooks and the shootout and like, ah, oh, the bat's on the loose. Because I was like, what year is this? Is it 1930? Is Roland West directing this movie? Because the bat is also just like straight up a dude in like an all black suit. And like, cape. With a black cape and a fedora and basically a black luchador mask who, like, does things like walk around on rooftops holding his cape out like wings and things like that. So that's here. The main plot of the story follows a Dr. Eduardo Almada, and he is presenting this hypnotherapy past lives theory to a scientific congress. And he is basically laughed out of the room Mm -hmm. um, because the Congress, the group of scientists are like, we need proof, tests. Otherwise, this is just theory. What what are you doing here? Like, we're scientists. Yeah, you need to do like experiments and shit. Like, you can't just walk in here and be like, but what if, though? Yeah, that's the philosophy Congress down the (laughs) hall. Right, exactly. Now, the loudest of these detractors is a Dr. Krupp. But he's not the only person. Like, everyone's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Now, Almada is um, investigating hypnotherapy alongside his father-in-law, Dr. Sepulveda, and a 
I'll call him a colleague named Pinacate. Uh, he has a line that, like, you know, they met in, like, med school, but Pinacate dropped out, and he's a bit of a wuss. Yeah. He's a bit of a, a shaggy to Almada's Freddy. Mm-hmm. Also here is Almada's wife, Flor. She's the daughter of Dr. Sepulveda. And, you know, they're all talking like, well, how are we supposed to get evidence and, and proof and tests? Because this is just like so dangerous an experiment that like, are we really ready to do this? And Sepulveda's like, well, you could do it on me. Almada's like, yeah, but you're old and you might not survive. And Flora's like, well, you could do it on me. And they're like, okay. And she offers herself up as a test subject. We go through hypnotherapy. We also see that the bat is sneaking in, peering through windows to watch this experiment. And we learn that Flora had a past life as Xochitl. Um, She is like around 20 years old. Uh, She is going to be sacrificed to an Aztec god. And she's like, this is the greatest honor. I'm totally into this. Uh, I can't be touched or see anyone because I need to be a maiden for this sacrifice. Except she has fallen in love with Popoka, who is like a guard. Um, He's a warrior. A warrior. Okay. They're found out. Popoka is cursed and killed. And basically the curse is that he will never reach the afterlife. Yes. Then Xochitl is sacrificed. Um, she is put into this sacrificial garb with this fancy breastplate and bracelet and sacrificed. So they bring Flora out of the hypnosis and they're like, great, well, we just like proved our shit. But how are we going to prove prove shit? Yeah, because like they could present that to the Congress and they'd be like, she's just making shit up. Yeah. What is this, Bridie Murphy? Yeah, she's uh, just <laughs> she just saw Universal's The Mummy and is reciting the plot of that movie. <laughs> so to prove, prove his theories, Almada and everyone go to uh, the local Aztec temple, to uh, which is where Xochitl was sacrificed, and they go there to find evidence. And what they do find is the breastplate that uh, Xochitl was wearing. My favorite part about this is... They go to this Aztec pyramid that's in this kind of like little complex of Aztec ruins. And like, it's not like archaeologists going on an adventurous dig to like Hamanoptera. It's like they get in the car and they drive over to like the, you know, national park where like tourists probably go during the day and stuff. And they just like hop the fence and then they just start going into the pyramid and like smashing down walls to go and find the secret chamber. Yeah. And because it's like, you don't get any sense of time or distance. (laughs) It really just feels like it's like, yeah, the one that's like down the street. Yeah, exactly. On the other side of the city. Well, because like they give you establishing shots of the moon, but then all the footage that they shot outdoors at this real pyramid, it was clearly daytime. So it's very hard to judge. The bat has followed them. (laughs) So they find the breastplate and they've succeeded. They come back. They host like a little dinner for the scientific Congress. And the Congress is like, well, I'm impressed. But be warned. uh, There are superstitions about infiltrating Aztec pyramids and doom will befall your family. We believe these superstitions, but we won't 
believe your theories. Yeah, very flip-floppy scientists here. <laughs> um, also, one of these scientists is like, oh, so like using this breastplate, we'll be able to find like the rest of the treasure in this pyramid. But in order to do that, they need to decipher the hieroglyphs that are on the breastplate, and they can't do that without the matching bracelet, which they left in the temple. So Flora is like really upset about all this. She had this like really bad feeling from the beginning about going into the temple. Now that they've taken the breastplate out, she's like, I'm really, I really don't like this. Almada, what the fuck? Please, I don't ask you for anything. Can you please just let dead dogs lie? Sleeping, well, I guess dead dogs lie. <laughs> and Almada's like, mm, no, we're <laughs> going to go back for the bracelet. So he, Pinacate, and Sepulveda go back and they find the bracelet. And then they also find Popoka, the mummy. Um, he looks exactly like how the Aztec mummies look in like Google search results. Right. Like yeah. they did a fantastic job on this makeup. My favorite thing about this tomb is that like we know they killed Popoka and they killed Xochitl here. When they find the tomb, Xochitl's like skeleton is still just lying on the sacrificial altar. Yes. Like they just left her here. But also like Popoka the dead man was like wrapped up in cloth and then just sort of tossed in a corner. Yeah. And when he comes to life as a mummy, he like tears his way out of the like cloth cocoon that he was left in. And I just kind of like the idea that they just like left these corpses in here and they were like, all right, well, I guess we never use this room again. Yeah. Seal it up, boys. <laughs> so they manage to escape. They leave the bracelet in the room and they seal up where they went into the temple. And they're like, OK, well, I guess uh, I guess that's that. So the bat knows that they're going back for the bracelet somehow. And he's like to his goons, I want you to follow them. And when they get back to the house, I want you to sneak in and grab both the bracelet and the breastplate so we can get this treasure. As the goons are trying to break into the house, Popoka shows up and scares them off. Um, he enters the house, grabs the breastplate, and then he recognizes the sleeping floor as Xochitl. So he kidnaps her back to the temple to be sacrificed. He's like, what are you doing alive? <laughs> You're supposed to be dead. Come on. I'm, I'm dead. Come on. Mm -hmm. So we see that uh, the goons make it back to the bat. And they're like, hey, boss, that was a mummy. What do you want us to do? And the bat's like, you guys are idiots. Let's hop in the car and get back down to Almada's house. As they do that, Almada realizes that, oh shit, my wife's been taken, thanks to the heroic sacrifice of my one servant. <laughs> um, so he, along with Pinocara and Sepulveda, jump into a cart and race back to the ruins. Now they get intercepted by the bat and the goons, just as the police happen to show up, because they were also following, and they catch the bat, pull off the mask, and gasp! It's Dr. Krupp! That resolved uh they continue to the temple and get there just in time to stop the sacrifice from happening basically by sepulveda pulling out a crucifix like he's edward van sloan right <laughs> and keeping the mummy at bay like he's dracula mm -hmm. while they untie floor and get out of there and they realize that sepulveda is not behind them right as we see sepulveda pull out a stick of dynamite, stick it in some fire, and, like, blow up the room 
with Popoka inside. And then that's the end. <laughs> Almada gives like a speech about how, well, at least his sacrifice wasn't in vain because he defeated the mummy. And it's like, bitch, we know you filmed two more after this. Right, exactly. <laughs> so there are some things I skipped here, like the role that um, Floor and Almada's kids play in mm-hmm. various parts of the movie uh more like appearances than actually doing anything and also according to the credits there are quite a few wrestlers in this movie but i mean i would assume that popoka is played by a wrestler but that's about it yeah or like maybe some of the goons or like the aztec like guards and warriors in the flashback i don't really know but Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that doesn't seem to have a purpose or, like, doesn't go anywhere. It's 80 minutes long, and the mummy shows up at around 58 minutes. Yeah, like, maybe if I was a kid, I would find this movie kind of, like, fun and entertaining. It it seems almost like it's directed at a kid audience, given that, like... The role of the kids in the movie. Yeah, given that, like, it's a movie that... A a horror movie that has a supervillain in it and yeah um their son pepe sort of has like a spridal from speed racer kind of role where he like hops in the back seat of the car and tags along and like they have a daughter whose like primary role in the movie is she gets up to get a glass of water in the middle of the night at one point and steals the breastplate so that it's in the same bedroom as floor when the mummy shows up and it's like that's kind of it like you could cut them out of the movie and it would actually change Nothing. nothing so like they seem to be there to appeal to a kid audience but as this definitely feels like a family movie yeah like the kind of um like live action family adventure movies that like disney used to make yeah i don't really know what to make of this movie as an adult um as sarah alluded to a lot of this movie is padding so much padding almost like i wonder if they filmed stuff and then realized as they were editing the two sequels is this going to be too repetitive or let's take some of the more exciting things out of this movie and put it in the sequels so to give you an idea the hypnosis scene starts 10 minutes into this movie the actual aztec flashback begins eight minutes later so there's basically like eight solid minutes of like you are getting sleepy like remember your past um and then the flashback ends 10 minutes after that The Aztec Mummy shows up in the movie The Aztec Mummy 50 minutes into the 80-minute runtime, and then he doesn't actually start menacing the characters. Like, the characters don't meet him until, like, 10 minutes after that. So, as Sarah said, like, 58 minutes. Like, there's 20 minutes left to go in this movie. And even then, it feels like it's dragging its heels. Oh, absolutely. The entire subplot with the bat is the main thing that feels lifted from old serials. The way that he's got, like... He has like a, a like a sci-fi layer, talks to his like gangster goon minions who are like in a warehouse somewhere, but he talks to them on like a flat screen TV Zoom call because um, he's like a sci-fi villain. Yeah, and it really reminded me of that one character from the old Batman serials mm-hmm. who talks to his minions through like a little TV. Yeah, that's like a pretty standard serial thing. Like... um the masked villain who gets like unmasked in the last chapter is like classic a classic like trope of old serials and that's the same thing here with the bat where we don't know who he is but like weirdly the whole thing where he's like a dr moreau type has nothing to do with anything and never comes back um and also 
when you think about it, the entire bat subplot could be cut from the movie without making any impact on the story whatsoever. Because even though the bat's trying to get the treasure and the breastplate and stop Dr. Almada and whatever, at no point does he or his goons hamper or even really interact with the main characters of the story. Just the car chase at the end when the police show up. Right. And that's like the most anticlimactic scene ever. It's it's Almada's car is driving. The bat's following him. They pass like a police car that's like, huh, that's weird. And basically like cuts them off by pulling out in front. So they both have to stop. And then everybody gets out of their cars to be like, hey, what's what's up? And the police are like, hey, it's the bat. You're under arrest. Okay, bye. Like you could cut that scene and it would change nothing. And the whole big reveal of the bat like is very like, who? Like, okay, he was like a character from the beginning of the movie in that one scene like okay fine yeah just a lot of padding in this movie it reminded me of some of the problems that i had with la bruja mm. to remind everyone because la bruja was a while ago yes it's episode 171 and we're at 223 so wow yeah 60 episodes ago la bruja follows like this woman who is called the witch um, and like, there's a mad scientist who's like, I can make you beautiful. There's also night court <laughs> with like hunchback of Notre Dame, criminal underworld vibes. There's a lot going on in that movie. It's written by, as you pointed out in the context setting, it's written by the same person who wrote this movie. Mm. Now, La Bruja was credited as like idea from Salazar and then also written by the director, Uretta. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't really sure how much of the issues I had with La Bruja came from which author or writer. Clearly, a portion of it still lies at Salazar's feet because it's just as chaotic here. I think that at least the elements here fit together better in terms of like structure. Like if you aren't, a writer if you're not like paying attention you might not notice that like the bat subplot has nothing to do with anything because at least it like gives the impression of being related to the rest of the movie um but yeah once you take that all out of the film once you take all the padding out i mean this is very much lifted from the universal mummy movies right with like the reincarnation and the like you weren't supposed to touch the priestess so now you're in trouble and like oh now he has to come back to life to defend the whatever mm -hmm. and like goes and gets her and brings her back and blah 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 like that stuff's all very lifted yeah i will say i forget if we talk about this in the actual like original universal mummy content or in the horror adjacent episode we did on the 1999 the mummy but we discussed how we couldn't really picture how to do a mummy movie without it being set uh, an egyptian mummy movie set in colonial egypt mm. in like the 20s right and having that pulp vibe having that colonial aspect um and having it be a period film because we even see universal's struggling with that yeah at least with la momia azteca they are able to give a framework of how a mummy movie that isn't attached to that kind of blueprint could be sure and i think a big part of that is it's not a bunch of people going to a different country 
to do things. The people in Momia Azteca live here in Mexico. Right. They go to a temple in Mexico and they are dealing with Aztec stuff that is native or indigenous to Mexico. True. There is still a colonial element Mm -hmm. um, in that it is sort of implied that Almada and company are like Spanish descended people um, because their one servant at the house who does his best to try and stop the mummy from getting off with floor. um, He gets introduced early in the movie as like the superstitious like uh, servant who is descended from Aztecs and is like, Oh, like don't go and do that thing, doctor. Like uh, my people, you know, know that that stuff's bad juju kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is still like a colonial element here. Um, It's just that the colonizers like still live in the country they colonized. Um, Yeah. And and Egypt has a very like different um, history, history and vibe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. The other way that there's a bit of a colonial aspect here is with religion stuff. Right. Like the crucifix coming out. And I, I, earlier they're like, when they're talking about like, oh, you, you've brought a curse on your house. You better trust in God mm-hmm. uh, it to protect you. So, Specifically the Christian God. Like they name yeah. drop Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, they're like, Jesus H. Christ better protect you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is interesting. Yeah, there's definitely what we're seeing here is the idea that like the new God defeats the old gods, basically. Outside of an explicitly Christian framework, there's no real reason why like the mummy should react to a crucifix. Mm-hmm. Like Popoka's never seen a crucifix before. He doesn't know what Christianity is, right? It's not like the vampire thing where vampire mythology is still like based in a Christian framework. But if you're a Christian, if you believe in Christianity, then like, you know, God is the true God. And so is going to affect everything in the world, regardless of whether it believes in him or not. And if you're wondering, well, then what's powering this undead mummy? If like the Aztec gods aren't real in Catholicism, at least it was very, very traditional for a very, very long time to practice a kind of syncretism where indigenous gods were explained as being demons Mm. as being like, Oh yeah, no, that's a demon that tricked you into worshiping it as a God. You even see that in like the old Testament. It's how the Jews interacted with like the gods of the people in the lands around them. And so that's sort of the context within which this works. Like, the mummy in a Christian understanding of things is being animated by the power, like demonic powers and therefore is being defeated by holy powers. Yeah. But, but yeah, in a, in a meta context, a meta textual context, what we're seeing is the colonizers, gods defeating the colonized gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last couple of things I just want to say is, um, the guy who plays Pinacate, um, mm-hmm. Crux Alvarado. So he's the guy who we just saw in Ladron de Cadaveras. He's playing against type here and he's super fun as a Shaggy-esque character. Uh, he has like thick rimmed glasses and a bow tie. It's so fun. Yeah, he's he's playing this character as like the nerd who like faints at the slightest 
provocation and is the type to be like, look, a ghost and like this kind of thing. It's, it's very funny. And it's, yeah, he's, you know, an ex luchador. So it's definitely like, imagine the rock playing like a cowardly, like a cartoonishly cowardly character. The degree to which he is cartoonishly cowardly is another thing that I think gives this movie like a four children feel. Yeah. He, because he is an ex luchador he can bring some physicality mm. to this comedic kind of role. Um, like when he, when they first see the mummy and they're mm-hmm. escaping, uh, he like runs in front of everyone and then like dives out of the entrance and is right. like doing a bit of a roll while everyone else is just like climbing out. Yes. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun. Um, and then Rosa Arenas who plays floor, uh, she's fun. Uh, she's cute. Mm. But she doesn't get to scream. Yeah, it's conspicuously weird. And uh, it's almost like they filmed her screaming because there's shots where it looks like she's just about to scream. And then either they don't have the scream in and they cut to a different angle or they cut to a different shot altogether. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, like maybe she couldn't scream good. So they yeah. just cut them all out. She kind of gives off some like, ah, kind of screams at, at one point. That's more like, <laughs> you know, moans or groans of some kind. But yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. So without screams, mm-hmm. is this movie horror enough to rank on the list? What do you think? I think this is horror just as much as La Bruja is horror. And if you remember from that episode, I wasn't. 100% convinced La Bruja was horror and mm. you convinced me. I think this is horror. The mummy makeup is quite good and gruesome and the mummy I think menaces our characters like enough to count, but I do not think the sequels are horror. I do not no. think we will be watching the sequels. I would like however at this time to give the plot synopses of the sequels because I did after watching this movie go Okay, I'm going to check up on these sequels before we, like, slot them into the schedule. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, like, the sequel sounds like it could be. And then the third one where it's, like, the robot versus the mummy just sounds like, no, this is, like, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Yeah. Okay. So keeping in mind that these were all shot back to back to back. So they knew what they were doing here. The second film is The Curse of the Aztec Mummy. The plot is continued from the first film. The evil Dr. Krupp escapes from the police with the aid of his gang, and once again tries to get possession of the Aztec princess Xochitl's gold breastplate and bracelet by hypnotizing her current reincarnation, Flora Subulveda, to get her to reveal the location of Xochitl's tomb. Which seems odd, because the bat, like, straight up went there in the first movie. But anyways... Confusion reigns as Krupp and his thugs are opposed by Flora's fiance, Dr. Almada, his mild-mannered assistant, Pinacate, and a mysterious masked superhero called the Angel. Oh my god. Also, uh, it's not a fiance. They're unless oh, those aren't their kids, those are their siblings? Um, I think they're his kids from a previous marriage. Okay, and I she's guess that his fiance. explains why they were sleeping in different bedrooms. Yeah, and it's also why like he's got gray at his temples and she's 25, but there's like a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old kid. Sure. The, this is the problem with uh, Google Auto-translated yes. 
subtitles. Yes. I apologize. Sorry, no worries. Continue. Um, so yeah, so there's a superhero in this one to fight our supervillain. Dr. Krupp kidnaps Floor, Dr. Almada, and the angel, and tries to force Almada to translate the hieroglyphs on the breastplate that will reveal the secret location of the Aztec treasure. As a trained hypnotherapist, he knows how to read hieroglyphs. Right, exactly. Turns out, by the way, that the secret identity of the angel is none other than Pinacata. So I love the, this. So the, the bookish, I love this. The bookish, mild-mannered uh, Pinacate is the Superman. Ang- super, yeah, it's, it's he's Superman. It's just he's Superman. It's Clark Kent and Superman. <laughs> um, but the bat finally meets his match when Popoka, the warrior mummy, bursts into the mad doctor's lab, kills his thugs, and throws the screaming Dr. Krupp into a pit filled with live snakes. Popoka then takes his stolen artifacts and stumbles back off to the tomb. Flora and Dr. Almada go off to get married. This then leads into the third film. Amazing. The third film is The Robot versus the Aztec Mummy. The evil Dr. Krupp managed to escape the snake pit into which he was thrown by Popoka the Aztec Mummy in the previous film, in true serial fashion, and continues his efforts to steal a valuable Aztec treasure from Popoka's tomb. Krupp builds a robot with a human head and brain in it, planning to use it to destroy the mummy should he return to thwart his plans. Krupp's former colleague and original finder of the mummy, Dr. Eduardo Almada, his wife Flora, and his associate Pinacate all work to stop the mad scientist from completing his plans. Dr. Krupp gets inside the mummy's tomb and once again steals the gold breastplate from its resting place on the mummy's chest. When Popoka awakens in a rage, Krupp orders his human robot to fight him. The two monsters engage in a fierce struggle to the death, the robot's ability to deliver burns due to electrical shocks from its hands quickly begins to wear the mummy out. Just as it seems the robot is winning, Dr. Almada bursts into the tomb and knocks the remote control from Dr. Krupp's hands, effectively shutting off the robot's brain. In an insane rage, Popoka attacks the robot, literally tearing it into scrap metal. Popoka strangles Dr. Krupp and his henchman tierno and then stumbles off into another tomb where hopefully he can return to his rest and no one will ever disturb it again so those are the sequels that is amazing this sequel sounds amazing um according to my research both sequels have running times that are excessively made up of flashbacks to the previous movies oh okay it doesn't sound amazing i like the premise yeah. But I don't think watching it is something I would like to do. Yeah. Um, and these don't sound like it sounds like we, we, we get way out of horror territory and into, you know, some very comic booky territory. Oh, absolutely. I, I think you hit the nail on the head where you described this movie as being equal parts universal and like serial movies. Mm hmm. Um, OK, but we have decided this is horror. So where were you looking to rank this? So I had a bit of a hard time finding a range for this one, Um, often because like the things I liked about this movie or wanted to like about this movie sometimes like confused me over the fact that while watching this movie, I was often very bored and wanted it to end. So I struggled. Mm -hmm. Uh, I compared it to the various mummy movies we have on the list. And ultimately, I came down on it being worse than all of them. While the look of the Aztec mummy is cool and unique and none of the universal mummy movies had a supervillain in them. <laughs> Ultimately, like if you sat me down and said like, we're either going to watch the Aztec mummy or like the mummy's curse or the mummy's ghost or whatever, I would pick the universal one for sure. 
So the lowest ranked Universal Mummy movie that we have is The Mummy's Hand at 164. Looking down from there, we've got some decent movies. Werewolf of London, um, The Avenging Conscience, The Golem. But 169... Nice. Sorry. ...is the 1941 remake of The Black Cat that's sort of more comedy and old dark house than it is horror. Um, although that woman does burn up to death at the end of it. (laughs) So I kind of thought that the golem was definitely better than this, Um, but maybe this was better than the black cat, and I made 168 my ceiling. But, you know, there's still some okay stuff in here, but we quickly get into some really subpar stuff too, like Return of the Ape Man and Black Moon, Mm. stuff like that. Scared to Death is way more fun than this movie this movie should be fun and somehow isn't so i made my way to 190 mesa of lost women which is a terrible film and definitely worse than this this movie at least was professionally made by (laughs) professional people so i'm looking between 168 190 okay um so i have an equally large range but i was looking higher okay so when I started, I looked at where La Bruja is, and it's at 84. Okay. Because, like I said, if La Bruja is horror, this is horror. They have similar problems to me. Um, between the two of them, I would actually probably want to watch La Momia Azteca rather than La Bruja. Okay. Um, so I made that my ceiling. And then as I looked down to try to find my floor, I kind of just, like, petered out at 117. <laughs> The the corpse vanishes Mm. because like that movie has a lot going on as well. It has like the reporter, the photography cover story, um, because she's like talk like investigating fancy flowers. Yeah, there's like the Botox and yeah. And I was like, yeah, but at least La Momia Azteca gives the semblance of it all kind of being one thing. Sure. Uh, so my range was 84 to 117. So that puts a very large gap between your floor and my ceiling. The exact halfway point between your floor and my ceiling is 142 House of Horrors, mm. uh, which is a Rondo Hatton movie. Um, and we have it placed right under Spanish Dracula and above um, the sealed room from 1909. <laughs> So looking around the movies in this area, what do we think? Does anything stand out to you? Uh, okay. So House of Horrors is pretty good. I think it does a better job of controlling the mood or at least the various moving parts in it better than La Momia Azteca. Um, the sealed room gets to the point. Yes. And is nice and short and quick. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't dally around so i am thinking like looking a little lower what do you think about 147 bride of the monster because that is also very inspired by universal and i think it's better i think it's better too because bride of the monster one of the reasons it's the best ed wood movie is because of its focus like compare Bride of the Monster to Plan 9 from Outer Space, which is trying to be like three or four different movies. Like La Momia Azteca. Exactly. So I think Bride of the Monster is is superior here. So looking a little further down, 
What about the Bridie Murphy movie, The She-Creature 152? I think we're sort of getting closer to yeah. the right area. I don't remember what we liked about The She-Creature. I think it was that like the characters were interesting, but so much of that movie also like kind of happens in montages or off screen, which is very frustrating. I will say I liked the Bridie Murphy stuff in La Momia Azteca better than what's in the mm. She-Creature. It makes more sense to me that you would have flashbacks to a past life as like an Aztec woman than a strange sea creature wearing a blonde wig with tits. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like that not only would you flash back to being like a strange missing link between fish and man um but that then doing so would like manifest that being in the world yeah i think that's correct above the she creature we have the unknown by todd browning which is a weird movie but it does know what it's on about yeah so how about we slot la momia azteca Underneath the Unknown and Above the She-Creature. Okay, I'm willing to meet you in the middle there. So coming in at the new number 152 on the list is La Momia Azteca, directed by Rafael Portillo from 1957. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the many episodes we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Screamscene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed. If you'd like to help the show out, you can leave us a rating or a review, recommend us to your friends, or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Well, what are we watching next week, Ben? Are we staying in Mexico? We're going to be leaving Mexico. Oh, um, partially because we will not be watching the follow-up sequels to this movie <laughs> for the show. Um, and instead we're returning to America. You may remember recently in America that I Was a Teenage Werewolf made a lot of money. Yes. So next week we will be watching I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. I have been looking forward to this movie for so long. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. See you next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Thank you.